You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, thank you, Scott, and thank you, Eric, and uh, thank you for being here today and just very excited to see what God has to say to us during these uh, days and hours each night. I really want to encourage you not to miss tonight. It'll be a very, very important thing that I think will um, could affect your life and the kingdom of God for the rest of your life. Uh, you know, everything in the this world is about God's kingdom. It's about His kingdom. Uh, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Sin came into the world and marred this earth and His kingdom on this earth. And he came to bring his kingdom back in, right? I mean, one of the things he says is, I want you to pray. We're going to see this tonight. I want you to pray this. Lord, your kingdom come, right? And your will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. I just was so thrilling to watch these baptisms and Seven's testimony. Where are you, Seven? He's in here somewhere. And uh, just to hear his this testimony, and, and, and what was going on is what I experienced last night. So last night, I was eating with a pastor and Scott, and uh, I'm staying out at the, by the Lake Hamilton on a little uh, place that a friend of mine owns, and I didn't know how to get there, and so I used the old trusty GPS, right? But I don't always trust the GPS, and I, kept, I, I was going down Central, and it kept saying, turn here turn here to go to airport. I said, no, that's not right. It couldn't possibly be right because I thought in my pride that I knew a better way. And I just went past and then the next street said, turn right here, turn right here, turn right here. And finally, I just surrendered. I said, oh, great GPS. I will bow to your wisdom on this. And I took the road and guess what? I got back on airport road exactly where I needed to be. It's incredible. So seven and all of us, this is the problem. We, we just keep going past the road and going on a different road. And, and we think, well, I know better than God. I can go, I can get there this way. Or I can try this route, or this will give me joy, or this will give me satisfaction, or I'll get man's approval this way. So I'm going to try that. And we keep on running in the wrong direction away from the kingdom of God, right? And he's just wanting to bring us so that we can enter the kingdom, just as seven has done. And, and there were a lot of voices along the way, his aunt and others trying to tell him, okay, turn here, turn here. But he wants us to enter the kingdom of God. Then God wants us, once we enter, that's just the beginning. He wants us to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. I mean, all the the richness of God's kingdom in our life, our family, our home, our relationships, our finances. I mean, in just every part of God's kingdom. And he wants to bring in his kingdom to every tongue, tribe, nation, and people right? I mean, that's his heart. Can you, just, can you just think of being born into a nation or a people group where there was no idea what the kingdom of God was like? Nobody knew about it. Nobody was telling you. You just lived in the kingdom of darkness. 
and all that darkness brings. Can you fathom just living in a life like that? And then somebody came and announced to you the kingdom. Now, this is what Jesus did. In, in the uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bible, turn with me. Jesus came out of the wilderness, and his first sermon was very simple. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And then he begins in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, kind of telling us what that kingdom manifesto is, what that kingdom is like. And he used this little device. He said, now in your kingdom, you do it this way. But in my kingdom, we do it this way. In, in your kingdom, you hold on to things. In my kingdom, you let go of things, and, and you let God take care of you. In, in the kingdom of this world, it's like this, but if you want to know the fullness of the kingdom, you're going you're gonna to have to make a turn, right? You're going to have to make a turn to get to that kingdom. And he begins with what we call the Beatitudes, and, and these are simply an explanation, and I think they're progressive you can't experience the third or the fourth until you experience the first and the second. As he tells us how to walk into the kingdom and how to experience the fullness of the kingdom. Now look what he says in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse uh, 1. He says he, he went up and saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain. He sat down. His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and, and he began to teach them. And here's what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they and they alone shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek. Your Bible may say gentle, but meek is, I think, a better translation. Blessed are the meek, for they're the ones who are going to inherit the earth. Nobody else but the meek one day will inherit the earth. Now, what does he mean? I'm going to give you one sentence, and then we're just going to unpack this sentence, all right? To experience the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, we must see our need so greatly, so deeply, that we gladly bow. We must see our need so greatly that we gladly bow. Now, let's just unpack that. First of all, we must see our need. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 3. And I think it's first because it's first in order of importance. You cannot go past this. You cannot get into the kingdom. You cannot experience the fullness of the kingdom unless you are initially and then continually experience what he says right here in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Does that mean you give away all of your money and go live on a mountain somewhere? You could do that. It's fine. God tells you to do that. That's the thing to do. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. Blessed is the man or the woman or the student who recognizes initially and increasingly their absolute spiritual poverty apart from Christ. Blessed is a man who knows that he can't do it without Jesus. Blessed is a man who understands what Jesus said in, in uh, John 15 when he said, I'm the vine, and you're, just, you're a branch. 
you're a wonderful branch, fearfully and wonderfully made, but you're the branch. And apart from me, you can do some really great things. Is that what he said? Here's what he said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing of value. Nothing that lasts. Nothing the way it was intended to be done. But you see, we don't get that, you know. We just think apart from him, I can do a whole lot. Apart from him, I can raise my family. Apart from him, I can run my finances. Apart from him, I can do my business, right? Apart from him, I can get through school. Apart from him, I can make a path for my life. Now, what that's called, that attitude is the antithesis of the humility that recognizes its sin and its need, and that's called pride, right? And the Bible says a lot about pride. God said in Proverbs 6, he said, there's six things I hate. Not six people, but six things. And I mean hate is a pretty strong word from God. Six things I hate. And the first is a proud look. Just a proud, haughty look. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 that pride always comes before destruction. You look at a proud man, you're going to find destruction in the coming days. It will always manifest itself. And, and there's an amazing verse in, in uh, three times in the Bible. last one's in James 4, 6. He says this, God resists the proud. But he will pour out grace, which is God's enabling power and favor. He'll pour out his grace on the humble. Now just think about that for a minute. God resists us when we're proud. Now, I was telling the earlier uh, service, uh, one time I, I sat out on this plane and the guy across the aisle who filled up two seats he was just massive. He, he wasn't like overweight massive. He was just huge. He was just a huge man. Probably about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, must have weighed 350 or something, no body fat. I mean, he was just this mountain. He got up. <laughs> we got to go out. He just got up, and he got up, and he got up, and he got up. You know, he just kept getting up, and he turned his head, and he got up some more. He was just huge, and I started talking to him. He, well, he was a pro football player. And, you know, these guys, I mean, they start feeding them raw meat in about the fourth grade, and, and they just grow them big now. I mean, just, just huge. And can you imagine? Now, just think about this. Football is a very simple game, right? All you do is there's this little imaginary line, you know, and you line up, and you just walk across that line Find a guy with a, just a leather ball and push him down. I mean, that's it. It's no big deal, right? So imagine, <laughs> just tell Alabama that. So imagine, <laughs> hallelujah. By the way, never mind, I'm sorry. It's like, Lord, I confess that. Uh, but thank you. Uh, so <laughs> so I've, got, I've got like six guys from Alabama on my staff. Drives me stark raving nuts. But anyway... Imagine getting down on your all fours and you, and you look across the line and you got 60 minutes of this coming and there's that 6'10", 350-pound guy and he looks at you real nice and he says, hey, good to see you today. I'm going to resist you all day long. 
I'm, I'm going to kick you and bite you if I can get away with it. I, I'm, I really would love to break some of your limbs. I don't want to, you know, seriously mangle you, but I just want to do it enough to knock you out of this game, right? Can you imagine doing that for 60 minutes every play? Now, I want to tell you something far greater than that. Imagine getting up tomorrow and you're going to school or you're going to work or you're going to raise your family or going to handle your finances and you go down on all fours and you look up and standing on the other side is God. And God says, son, daughter, sorry, I'm going to have to resist you today. And you say, Bill, wait a minute. And Jive, he's... I'm his child, he's for me. Do you know that verse in James 4, 6 is written to the church? It's written to Christians? And you say, Lord, I I thought we were on the same team. I thought you were here to help me. And God might say to you, well, of course we are, and of course I am, but the best way I can help you is to resist you today because you are walking in pride. And I want to teach you that you cannot live by bread alone you must live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God right and I just haven't given up I keep working I keep trying to bring you to this place and when you will in humility admit your poverty and admit your sin and acknowledge your need of me guess what I will pour out grace on you and nobody can give grace like me right I will empower you, I will bless you, I will direct you, I will provide for you. All of that God has stored up. Things which eyes not seen, ears not heard, God has stored up for those who will love Him and humbly admit their need of Him. I can give you a one-question test that uh, can tell us where we are whether or not we're walking in humility or whether or not we're walking in pride, whether or not we are knowing God's resistance or whether or not we're experiencing His grace. Are you ready? Here's a very simple test, one question, and here it is. You ready? How much do you pray? I'm not talking about now lay me down to sleep or or bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. You know, I'm not talking about that. I want you to think about last week. How many times throughout each common day last week did you say, Lord, I cannot do this without you? I don't know how to speak without you. I have no wisdom without you. I, I, I don't know how to raise my family. I don't know how to discipline lovingly my children. I I don't know how to handle my finances. I don't know which direction to go. Lord, I desperately need you because if you can go a day or a week or a month or a lifetime without really humbly, genuinely crying out to God, it's a clear indication that you think you can live your life without Him. I can do this thing. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but that's the way to death. That's the way to destruction. never works. We weren't designed to live that way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
For theirs, now listen to this, is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, apparently, if you don't come by this small door like Alice in Wonderland, you know, of humility, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I've thought about that a lot in the last 50 years as I've pastored all kinds of people. And I've I've had some people who've, I think what's happened is they've, They've, they've been in a service like this. They think, well, I want to go to heaven. I mean, who would want to go to heaven? I don't want to go to hell. And uh, I guess I want some of those things God has. So what do I have to do? I'll pray a prayer. Okay, I'll pray a prayer. I'll come down here. I'll pray a prayer. And, uh, and, but I don't, really, I don't really need the Lord. I mean, I, I'm handling my life pretty well by myself. So I'll just handle my life but I'd like to add this little thing to my life, right? No poverty of spirit, no recognition of need, right? And you know what? I don't, I don't think that person will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. I think the Bible's really clear about that. In fact, the Bible says many will come to me on the, at the end and say, well, Lord, I went to church, I prayed that prayer, I did this, I did that, and the Lord will say, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you. Blessed is a man who sees his need. Now look at this, secondly, so greatly. So verse 4, look at it in your Bible, it says this, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now we I've heard that preached at at funerals and and times of grief, and it's certainly true that uh, God is our great comfort. He comes alongside to lift the load. But I don't think that's what this verse is saying in its context. Listen to this. Blessed is the man or the woman or the student who sees their need so deeply that it grieves them that they mourn. They mourn enough to be willing to turn, to want something different in their life, right? Blessed is a man who sees his need. You know, we're commanded. That same passage in James 4, written to the church, where he says, humble yourselves, I resist the proud. It also says, cleanse your heart and your minds and it says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. Now that's a, you know, you didn't know there was a scripture that told you to mourn, right? But it's for a season. And what he's saying is this, blessed is the man that sees his need and it grieves him. I want to tell you something. We don't grieve sin anymore. We don't grieve our sin. We don't grieve the world's sin. In fact, the world's sin has just become our entertainment. We pay money to go watch it on the, at the theater. We, we watch it on... It, it just... It doesn't grieve... What grieves the heart of God no longer grieves us. But happy to be envied. The man who's going to experience the kingdom is the guy who, who comes to... What Paul talked about in, in 2 Corinthians 7 when he said, you as a church, I won't go into the details, but you knew sorrow, but it was a sorrow that led to something. It led to a repentance without regrets. 
In other words, what he means is sometimes, you know, we have a, we'll be in a service like this and we think, man, I've got all this junk in my life and, and I'm chasing all these things. I'm going down this, my GPS. I'm ignoring what God has said. It's just not good. I know it's not good. I'm going to turn. I'm going to change. But man, I really love that. I really enjoy that. That's my greatest satisfaction. That's what I think I want in life. That's repentance with regrets, right? And how long does it take you to turn around and go back there? Half day, as soon as Satan gives you the next little temptation. Blessed is the man who sees himself and his need and what a mess we make of our life on our own deeply, so deeply that we're glad. We're glad to turn. We long to turn, right? Sometimes people will come to me with a, and they have a prodigal child, and I had a prodigal child. I have eight kids, and we had one of our kids who got off the beam, and they'll say, Bill, what do we do? And we talk about that. But one of the things I always say to them is, look, here's a great prayer to pray. God, do, because you love him, her, do whatever is necessary to bring them to the end of themselves. Right? Great prayer. Because they think, they're, they think they've got it. They think they know the way. They're ignoring every GPS sign, every arrow, you know, that says, don't go this way. The bridge is out. And they just keep going and going. And Lord, let them taste of that way enough that they get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they're, they come to the end of their resources. They come to the end of themselves. Have you, have you come there? I mean, do you, do, you, do you still feel like I can do this thing? I can handle this marriage? I can raise these kids? <laughs> or do you, do you constantly, initially, this has happened, this is called salvation, initially you came to the end of yourself and cried out, Lord, I can't save me, forgive me, cleanse me, change me. But then once you entered into his kingdom, as you were saved, so walk in the same way, do you, do you continually... Is it increasingly, are you maturing in this more and more and more that you realize, I have have got to to cry out to the Lord. I've got to depend upon the Lord. This is why some people pray without ceasing. Somebody said about our church the other day, they said, and I was just humbled and grateful. They said, man, I've never seen a church that prays like this. I said, you know, if that's true, you know why that's true? Is because we don't have a clue what we're doing. We have, we have no idea how to run this, and we have every idea of what happens if we run it in the flesh, if we do this by our own logic and our own thinking. So we've got to talk to God about everything, every decision, every expenditure, every initiative. God is the head of the church. And he wants to make his bride beautiful and powerful and effective and filled with his life and full of grace and love and truth. But you can't do that unless you're depending upon the head, right? Unless we're talking to him. Now look at this, finally. Blessed is the man. Here's how we enter the kingdom. 
Here's how we experience in increasing ways more and more of the kingdom, and here's how we take the kingdom to every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. You understand your need so greatly, are you ready, that you gladly bow. That you gladly bow. And you see how this is progressive? I mean, I, why would I bow to Christ if I don't recognize my need? Why would I bow to Christ if I didn't see it so much that it grieved my soul and I, wanted, I really wanted something differently? But when I see my need and it grieves my heart and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, I call out to Lord and say, Lord, rule me. And that's what meekness is. Meekness is the submissive. It's not, it doesn't mean like kind of a, you know, little, you know, meek and mild, just a little quiet person or something you put on externally. It's the spirit that is willing to be governed. Willing to be governed. I've governed myself long enough and I'm sick of it. And I am willing gladly to look to Christ and say, Oh Lord Jesus. Please, by your grace, rule me. Rule me. So, you know about this. I love this picture. I was just in Colorado. They've got a lot of wild horses. In fact, they were having an auction of wild horses while I was out there. Two of my kids are planting churches out there. And... uh, and these wild horses just, you know, they roam, they do whatever they want to, eat whatever they want to, mate with whoever they want to. And then the cowboy gets that horse and he puts them in a corral, you know, an enclosure. Or a wild horse doesn't like that in any stretch of the imagination, right? So you let him kind of get settled to that, and then you put a bit and bridle on him. He doesn't like that, tries to spit it out. Then you put a blanket over him, done like that, tries to throw it off. And then you put a, take a saddle and you throw it over him and then you cinch that up and he doesn't like that, tries to scrape it off on the side of the corral. But the, the real action is about to happen, right? So that cowboy grabs the reins, puts his foot in the stirrup, throws his leg over, and man, the battle's on, Right? And uh, he tries to throw him off his back and throw him over his neck, tries to scrape him along the corral uh, posts. I mean, anything and everything because he doesn't want anybody else controlling his life. And finally, after a while, something happens and we say the horse has been, what? Broken. Yeah, he's broke. And you say, well, would he bust a leg or... I mean, can he not run anymore? Oh, no, man. You you know, a horse is one of the most beautiful, majestic, fearfully made animals in God's kingdom, right? But something happens in the spirit of the horse. And the spirit, inside the spirit, the horse says, it would be more valuable to me to let him be in control. And as he trains that horse over this whole process that maybe the horse may not like some of that training process, but it's so necessary. And uh, finally, 
you get to the point where that horse's neck rein, you can take your reins and just lay it on the right side of that horse, and the horse will move this way, or the left side, it will just move this way. In fact, and this is really beautiful, when that horse really becomes gentle, he really becomes meek, he's powerful, but he's willing to be governed. That horse and that rider, the rider can just move in the saddle and direct that horse. You can come up to a valley, and the horse may not really want to, may never have been in a valley like that, but the master urges him on, and this is the same master, by the way, that feeds him and provides for him and, and curries him and cares for him, and, and uh, so he believes in the master. He trusts the master. So when he comes to a dark spot, he said, well, if, if the master says it's okay, I'll go. He wants me to jump a fence, I'll, I'll try to jump that fence because I know that the will of my master is good, right? Like Paul said, don't, don't be conformed to this world. Don't keep running down that stupid road that's just destroying your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and when you, when you start to live under his leadership, you're going to prove, he says in Romans 12 too, that the will of God really is good. It really is acceptable. It really is perfect, complete, lacking in absolutely nothing. And when you let him take control, he takes you into his kingdom. And more and more, year after year, you began to experience the riches, the height, and the depth, and the width, and the breadth of the love of God. In your heart, your life starts just moving in unison with Him. And, and you know His wonderful pleasure, His marvelous grace, His perfect timing, his inexhaustible provision when you have said Lord I see my needs so greatly that I gladly bow to you it's not like God is trying to yank you around and destroy your life Satan's constantly whispering that in your ear but he's a liar, isn't he? And the father of all lies. And the Lord just looks in that balcony and he says, I want you to just come and just gladly bow your knee. Just, just bow your knee to me. Surrender to my control. And I will give you all the riches of my kingdom. And by the way, when you start experiencing those riches then you're ready to be able to give those riches to every tongue, tribe, nation, and people for his glory. So would you bow your heads for just a moment as we begin this week? We're praying it'll be an incredible week, a life-changing week. And I wonder, I'm going to do something just a little different. I just wonder as the team is coming to play, if, if you would just be willing to say maybe you've never come into the kingdom, and you'd have to say, you know, I just, 
well, I've done this and that, but I've never really bowed and given the control of my life to Christ. And I'm going to ask the pastors to be standing here on the side. And if you need Christ as your Savior, I just, I just invite you to come. But, but for the rest of us, whether you're just brand new in the faith or you've been walking a long time and you just want to come to this altar and kneel if you're able to do that or stand and just say, I want all of the kingdom that God has for me. And I want to honor him by gladly bowing. And I need to see myself and my needs so greatly that I just increasingly bow and you may be somebody's walked with the Lord for a long time, but you just say, I just want more. He deserves more. I want to give him more. I'm going to ask you when we stand in a moment just to come right down to this altar. Some are already coming, and you just, you just need to step out and just say, I, that's what I want, and I'm going to pray with you here at this altar. So, Lord, just direct us in this moment. I pray that we would bow before you, Lord. Pray that we would just let go, Lord. Just let go and let you have full control. And we ask that, Father, because you deserve that. You deserve that. So with heads bowed, would you just stand right where you are right now, all of us standing, and, and just, just come. Just step out right now and join these others at this altar. Say, I, just, I want Christ to rule. I don't care if you've said that a thousand times to him. I want Christ to rule my life. You may be 17 years old or 70 years old. I just want Christ. And I'm glad for everyone to know that I need Christ. I just need Christ. You may be in the balcony. You may be in the back. Just come on. We're just going to wait for a moment. Then we're going to pray together here at this altar. see my need so greatly that I gladly bow just gladly bow come on we'll wait just a moment longer pray for you and with you here at this altar so I wonder as you're praying if you would just say Lord would you help me see the groundwork of my heart help me see my pride help me see my need Lord just turn the spotlight search me oh God and know my heart try me and know my hurtful ways and see if there's any wicked, hurtful way in me. And then lead me in the everlasting way. If, that, if that's your prayer, just, Lord, show me how much I need you. And, Lord, would you do a deep work this week?
Would you take me to some places I've never been with you this week? Just ask him. He, he longs to answer that prayer. Do a deep work in my heart this week that I will never be where I was. And Father, just tell him, I love you. And I gladly bow before you. And I am willing, Lord, to be governed by you. Just tell him that right now. We pray all of this, Lord. And I pray your blessing. I pray for these who are at this altar. Lord, you would do unexplainable things, things that only you can do in their life this week and they would see the depth of this and Lord they would enter into greater and greater realms of your kingdom the fullness of your kingdom and they'll be equipped Lord to take your kingdom to other people Lord we need people who are anxious to take your kingdom to other people so Lord, we pray for that in this, at this altar, in Jesus' name, amen. As these are praying or headed back to their seat, let's just worship the Lord for a moment. The altar's still open if you want to come, Pastor.